Um, it's fun when the Holy Spirit weaves some things together. There seems to be a, a, a sub-theme here of hope in the midst yes. of, yeah, of hope in the midst. Of, I know, isn't that crazy that the Holy Spirit would do that? Um, that uh, there's like the, exactly. The, um, the, uh, the sub-theme of hope in the midst of these challenges. And here's, here's what I was going to open with, a situation where they needed some hope in the midst of a crazy, crazy challenge. Uh, imagine that you're in this situation where you're on your way home from Hawaii. That's nice to imagine that, right? Imagine you're on your way home from Hawaii and your, your plane's taken off and you're looking out the window to see if you can catch one glass glimpse of the island when all of a sudden where the cargo door was, now there's a hole because the cargo door blows out and all of a sudden there's this huge hole that's now expanding in your airplane. This is a true story. This actually happened. Nine passengers were immediately sucked out when the hole opened up. And so now oxygen masks are dropping and the emergency sirens are going off and you're going to hear screams of panicked people as all of these things happen and as, as this gaping hole gets bigger. Imagine being in that plane and feeling the impact when parts of your plane are now peeling off of the plane, flying into the engines and hitting them and knocking out two of the engines on your jet. Now, if this is the movies, no problem, Right? Because the laws of physics and probability need not apply in the movies. But this was real. This is real life. United Airlines, Google it if you want. United Airlines, flight 811. And this huge 747 jet was 22,000 feet in the air. It was 100 miles from land when this happened, when the plane literally started to come apart in midair. Here's a picture of the, the captain, the pilot. Pilot David Cronin, uh, this is a little bit later in life, but then there's the airplane. The hole just opened up while they were in mid-flight. To, the, to, to this day, the fact that this man could land that plane is nothing short of miraculous. He had to compensate because he had two lost engines that had happened, and now you not only that, you've got major aerodynamic shifts that you can't exactly practice in real life happening because your plane's falling apart. He had to make quick decisions on everything, including fuel, because when they lifted off, they had 300,000 pounds of highly flammable fuel. And if they land with that much fuel, they're going to collapse the landing gear. So they've got that going on. The trickiest part for him was adjusting the speed because he had to slow down as much as he could because the faster you go, the more that hole is going to open up. But he doesn't know what his stall speed is anymore because all the aerodynamics have changed. So he doesn't know how slow can I go before the whole thing quits and we fall into the ocean. And if all this isn't enough, the wing flaps that were used to slow the plane when you land were now damaged. And so he's going to have to land the plane at 195 miles an hour. Yeah. Well, a few days after this miraculous landing, a news agency came up and they just said, so, when your plane started to disintegrate in the air, what went through your head? And here's what he said. Here's, here's a quote from him. He said, I said a prayer, and I got back to business. We're um, in a series that we started several weeks ago about work. It was one of the most highly requested topics when we asked people, what, what should we teach on this year? And people said, talk about work. And one of the things that people said more than anything else about work were there were Christians who said, how, how do I share my faith in the workplace? How do I do that well? Well, 
Can we put the quote back up for just a second? There's how you do it well. Go in peace, serve the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's unpack this a little bit. But there it is. That's what we're going to unpack today. That's how you witness well in the workplace. I'd encourage you to take out your notes. Jill already said a prayer, so let's get right to work. Here we go. Please write this down. A God-honoring witness involves doing good work and spreading the good news. When you say a prayer and get to work, here's your work. Doing good work and spreading the good news. Let's unpack that because both of these pieces are important. Both of them are. You can, you can put the I Heart Jesus bumper sticker on your convertible, put the, put the um, you know, top down, turn KTIS up to 11, right? And you can do all those things, but if you arrive late to work, how's that going to affect your witness? Not in a positive way. You can be the manager of a team, who, or you can be the manager who leads a great office Bible study, but if you don't lead your team well, you're not going to have an effective witness in your office. You can tell everyone that you work for the king of kings. But if you cut corners when you think no one's watching and someone's watching, what is that saying about this king that you say you serve? There is no God-honoring witness without good work. There's not. Your, your actions will invalidate anything that you say. So, so that's so important. But... The reason we put both of these things on the screens, both of them in your notes, both are important. A God-honoring witness requires more than just doing a good job. And I was reminded of that. I was at a meeting, a pastor's meeting, and uh, they had a pastor come in from L.A. He's got one of the most diverse congregations in the country. And he came in, and he wanted to share about witnessing. How, how in the world do you share Christ in Southern California to so many people who are so resistant to the Christian faith? And he said, you know, one of the biggest barriers we've found to witnessing, it's this. And he's not talking about how busy we are on our phones. He said it's that idea of being liked. He said that is the number one hindrance that he's seen to people sharing their faith. They're so concerned about being liked that they don't press into what it really means to love your neighbor. And he, and, he, and he pushed into that even further. He said, would you rather have a thousand people like you because you just blend in? Or at the end of your life, do you wish there were 10 people who loved you because you had hard conversations when you needed to? And, and when it came to sharing your faith, you were willing to risk going to that step of love so that that person may come into a life-transforming, eternal destiny-changing relationship with Jesus Christ. So a God-honoring witness, it's going gonna, it's gonna to be both of these things. It's going to be doing excellent work, and it's going to be sharing this good news. So let's talk about each of those things. Let's start with the good work part. That's the easier one. Let's talk about that. Let, here's a few thoughts about good work. I would encourage you to write this down. Excellent work bears witness to God's character. And this is true for you even if you're not a Christian. You, you may not want to be witnessing for the Christian God, but you are if you do excellent work. You, if you do excellent work, it, it doesn't matter if you're a Mormon or a Buddhist or an atheist or agnostic, and where's Terry? Here it is, even a Green Bay Packer fan. You can witness to the, the character of God, the character of God, simply by doing excellent work. And why do I say that? I say that because the Word of God says that. If you have your Bibles, let's take a look. Romans chapter 1, verses 19 through 20. Let's take a look at this. If you don't have a Bible, too, we'd love to give you one free today. We keep a, a stack of them at the, the table right there and right over there. They're for you to take. We'd love to give you one today. Right. Romans 19, or Romans chapter 1, verses 19 and 20. 
What may be known about God, and we're talking about his general character here, what may be known about God is plain to them because God has made it plain to them. For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power, his divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made so that people are without excuse. Now, I've read this numerous times before, and I've always made the connection with nature, nature, where there, you just get outside and you're going to learn some general things about God in his nature. Well, as I've been preparing this message on work, it's been jumping out to me. There are things about excellent work that testify to the character of God because of the good work that he does and the way he created this world. There's so much that God reveals about himself through the nature of work. So when people who bear God's image do excellent work, we bear witness to who God is, whether we're planning on doing that or not. Here's a quote that dates back to the 16th century. A man named Martin Luther said this, all our work, All our work, whether in the fields, in the garden, in the city, in the house, in war, or in government, these are the masks of God. God milks the cows through the vocation of the milkmaids. When a parent cares for a child, when a cook prepares a meal, when an artist creates a great work of art, when a gardener tends to a garden, they're doing God's work. They're bearing witness to God's created design and his gracious provision for his creation, even if they aren't consciously aware of it. When we bring order from chaos, when we use our God-given capacities to create, when we care for God's people and the rest of his creation, when we extend uh, justice and mercy, when we lead well or teach well or clean well or build well, when we engage in reconciliation efforts, we're bearing witness to God's character Because God does those things and his design and his intent for us. When we do excellent work, we bear witness to God's character. Now, the opposite is also true. If we get a warped sense of what work is and who we're working for, then we bear witness not to God's character but to a different character. Take a look at this quote. I'm going to be giving you a number of quotes from a fantastic book by Tim Keller, Every Good Endeavor. I put the recommendation in your notes to that. I put an extra overflow sheet. These aren't a copies of last week's overflow quotes. These are new overflow quotes that we got in there. There's so much good stuff. Here's one of the things he says about work and what it does if we lose what we're, who we're working for, what it is we're supposed to be doing. Tim Keller writes, there's a powerful inclination of the human heart to make work and its attendant benefits, salary, all that type of thing, the main emphasis or basis of one's meaning and identity. When this happens, work is no longer a way to create and bring wonders out of the created order, as Calvin would say, or to be an instrument of God's providence, serving the basic needs of our neighbor, as Luther would say. Instead, work becomes a way to distinguish myself from my neighbor, to show the world, to prove to myself that I'm special. It's a way to accumulate power and security, to exercise control over my destiny. Now get this, it's not just one person, one kind of identity making comes from creating an idol of one's individual talents and accomplishments. But there's a second kind that comes from making an idol of one's group. This leads, of course, to snobbery, imperialism, colonialism, and various forms of racism. All that to say, when work becomes something other than what it was intended to be, then you're not bearing witness to God's character. Quite frankly, you're bearing witness to another character in Genesis 3 who took the form of a serpent. So 
Does the quality of our work make a difference? Yes. If you're not doing excellent work, it's going to affect everything else that we say. So there's that piece. Let's move on. Let's turn a corner now to the second piece. We talked about doing the good work. Let's talk about doing this work of sharing the gospel. Uh, The Apostle Paul wrote it this way in a letter um, that we call 2 Timothy. And this is from uh, chapter 4, verse 5. He says, do the work of an evangelist. In addition to the excellent work, do the work of the evangelist. Now, this was written from a uh, uh, first century disciple of Jesus Christ to a younger man that he was mentoring. But what he said to Timothy, what Paul said to Timothy, applies to us. And I'd encourage you to write this down. We're, we're also called to do the work of an evangelist. And what's that? Evangelist, by ne- definition, it's simply a good news bringer. That's what we are. We're a good news bringer. We bring good news that there is one God who created all things. And when sin entered this world, God, in an act of amazing grace, sent his one and only son to make things right, to teach us and lead us and make a way for repentance that leads to life. So we have this good news. How do you bring that into your workplace? Well, you pray, and then you get to work. You pray and get to work. Jesus taught his disciples to pray. And and when he did, he said, pray like this. Here's a prayer. This is a prayer that has been handed down to us from the first century. This is from one of his disciples passing this along. Jesus said, pray like this. Our Father, this is found, we find it in the Bible in Matthew chapter 6. It's also found in the book of Luke, but Matthew 6, uh, 9 through 10. Pray like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. May your kingdom come. May your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So how do we witness in a distinctly Christian way? We pray, and then we say, okay, God, what's my part in this? We pray, and then we say, God, what's my part in your kingdom come? Your will be done right here, right now in this moment. Is there anything you would have me to do? I'm going to pray for you to work, perhaps sovereignly, perhaps through the pilot of my plane, but what would you have me to do? Maybe put on the oxygen mask, maybe belt in, person next to me, what would you have me to do, God, right now that your kingdom may come, that your will would be done? All right, now before we say let's apply this to our other vocations outside of here, let's talk about it right now, right here. I'm going to give you the softball, okay? Nine o'clock, it was a swing and a miss, all right? But I'm I'm expecting big, it was, wasn't it, if you were here? And I told him that, it was a swing and a miss. All right, so let's pretend we got a little small group happening here. We're going to try to, to apply this teaching in real life here. Um, sometimes we forget, those who have been coming here for a long time, we forget we're at a community center. We're at a community center on Sunday mornings. My, I mean, our family, I vote where, the, where our kids have kids' church. Our kids learn to swim in this pool. We're in a community center. How many of you, by a show of hands, would say that God would like us to witness to who he is, his character, his goodness, all the same thing? How many of you would say that? Okay, I, yeah, I would too, all right? How might God answer that prayer? Through who? Through us, right? We want to witness to God, so we say, God, we pray that, that you know, we could witness to you, you know, to who you are and the things you've done. Well, okay, now what does that mean in practical terms? We serve a God who cares about people. Are there any things that we could do as God's people to testify to who he is? What might be an example of something on a Sunday morning 
This is a softball. Come on, here. A slow pitch. This is a T-ball. This is even a softball. This is a T-ball on Sunday morning. It is. It's sitting right here for someone to hit. On a Sunday morning, what's one thing that one of us could do to, to witness to God's love and concern and care for people? What's one example? Clean up our mess. There you go. There's one example. Instead of expecting someone else to clean up our mess, what does it say? In the beginning, there was chaos, and God brought order, right? We can testify not only do we care enough to clean up after ourselves, we can, we can testify to that. You know, when we leave, if we leave this place in disarray, and we say, oh, they're paying somebody for that. What kind of witness is that? If instead we say, no, this is just what we do as God's people, we bring order from chaos. Straighten up your chair. Pick up your trash. What's another thing we could do to bear witness to God's love and care for his people? Think about where we pack, for instance. What? In the wintertime. Winter Absolutely. If you're able, what if we park in the back? I'm so proud of our setup teams. We come in the morning, early morning. The only people parked here are, are folks in the back corners, leaving, especially on a rainy day, especially when it's, when it's cold outside. What else could we do to show witness to God's love and care for other people? Be inviting. Absolutely. You mean like inviting them here or when they're here? Being All the above. Yeah, making this a welcome place where we're, where we're engaging people and, and, and sincerely getting to know them. Yeah, there's so many things that we can do. All right. So that's the T-ball. All right. Good job. We, 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 got, a, we got a single on our, our T-ball here. But now moving on. How do we apply this then in our workplaces? And, and when I say workplaces, I mean all of the places God would have us to do his work, our families, our teams, our marketplaces. What does the work of the evangelist look like the rest of the week? Here are some thoughts. Here are some thoughts. Number one is this. And this is going to sound like Christianese, but this is, this is where it all begins. Prayer. Pray and get to work. Pray for those around you. To not pray when it comes to witnessing, that is like taking your chainsaw to a tree and the chainsaw doesn't have any gas in it, right? Invite God to, to, to come. Invite him to soften hearts and open eyes. Pray that God's going to open the door to conversations. Pray that God will open the door, like Bree was saying, about inviting folks, you know? Instead of forcing it, pray for, for that to happen. Pray that God will use us. Pray, God, what would you have me to do? Start there. And then number two, notice that I'm not starting with a technique. We're not even going to talk about any techniques, because what good is a technique if you're not working on your personal relationship with God? Everything else depends on that. Because witnessing should just come from a real place. If you are a soccer fan, people probably can't shut you up about the World Cup, right? You know, because it just comes from that place. You're excited about it. If there's something you're excited about, it just overflows. And you're not, hopefully, pushy, but more you're just excited to talk about it. Well, if God is doing something real in your life, you're going to just want to talk about it. So tend. The, the, what Jesus said, it's like tending to the soil. Are you tending to the soil? Are, are, you, are you tending to your inner life in such a way where then when the seed of the, of the gospel comes into your life, it takes deep root? Are you attentive to saying, am I just positioning myself where I've got so many thorns and weeds and all that kind of stuff that I can't even remember God from time to time? Or are you tending to the soil so that it gets rich and deep? So that when you share about your faith, it's coming from a place, I'm excited to talk about this because I'm making these new discoveries. That the Bible is not some dry, empty book, but you're, you're engaged in it and you're recognizing this is truth that has changed 
every generation. It's changed every continent. It's changed the course of history, and I'm understanding why. Is it coming from a place of I'm in community with these other brothers and sisters and there's nothing like that? Because I could call them at 2 o'clock in the morning, 3 o'clock in the morning, and they would not say this is an interruption. They are saying, I'm glad you called. How can I help? When you're seeing changes in your family, in your kids, as well as yourself, when, when you're experiencing that, you want to share it. And, and, and who, who needs a technique or anything because it's just real. All right. Not only that, but as you're pursuing this deep, rich, real faith, you're learning how to discern the voice of the Spirit, who sometimes will say, keep your mouth shut right now. And sometimes will say, speak up and say this. If, if you're not doing one and two, number three is going to seem shallow and empty and all those things that they mock Christians for in the mainstream because it's coming from more of a different place. But let's talk about number three because it is important. As you're praying and saying, God, may your kingdom come and your will be done right here, right now. What does that mean for me? As you're doing the hard work of the evangelist, tending to that inner self, then look for ways to to walk it out. Look for God to work through your deliberate, God-honoring, gospel-fueled living because it is going to look different than just hard work. You'll stand out in this culture. Let's talk about that one a little bit. Let's unpack that just uh, 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 for a couple minutes. Here we go. Here are some ideas. Not an exhaustive list, but here's some ideas of deliberate, God-honoring, gospel-filled living, what that might look like. Number one, it's going to look like a peace-filled, joyful, thankful heart. We sang that song earlier, Jesus Be the Center. I needed that one this week. You know, it's so easy to get off track, and if our lives are just frantic and our lives are just crazy, Instead of coming from a place of, all right, yeah, there's more to do than can ever be done, but you know what? God's given me 24-hour days, and he hasn't made a mistake. So there's enough to do what, time to do whatever he would have me to do. So you can come from a centered, peace-filled place. Number two, another thing, living a deliberate, God-honoring life. Don't set yourself up for a fall. You know, you're already fallen. Don't set yourself up as, as all right, just look at me because I'm this great example of the Christian faith. You know that's not true, right? We all got our stuff. We all have our stuff. And for people, why fake it? You know, there's no reason to fake it. You're setting yourself up for a fall, and we're already falling. That's why the good news is good news, because God loves us anyway. That's why he sent his son. So for us to say, you know what? Oh, you bet my life's a mess, and I'm trying. But for people to see that, I'm trying really hard to, to say, God, you know, Teach me, help me, live through me because I can't do it on my own, all right? And here's another one. Um, ask God to help you identify God-honoring priorities. You ever meet those people that are trying to do everything perfectly? You can't do anything perfectly, and let alone everything. So being able to say, okay, God, what's most important right now? You know, to be a person that does, isn't frantic and trying to do image management all the time, but to be a person who's just centered and grounded saying, I can't do everything. This is going to look like a mess, you know? But this is what's the most important right now, be that kind of a person. Number four, we, we've spent a lot of time in this last couple weeks. Uh, ask God to help you see the work beneath the work. You know, w- when I'm listening right now, what's the work beneath the work? When I'm doing the task that my boss asked me to do, what is the real work beneath the work? As I'm cleaning dishes, what's the real work beneath the work? Look for that. All right, here's another one. Approach your vocations as opportunities to give 
rather than earn. Here's another one. Choose the path of integrity even when it costs you. Everyone chooses the path of integrity when it's easy. What if it's going to cost you? Do you think you're going to shine in your workplace then? If you say, you know what, team, this is just wrong. And if we lose the account, we lose the account. But we're not going to compromise our ethics and values on this one, right? You know, we're going to do the right thing, even if it costs us. You're going to shine like bright then. Uh, What else we got? Um, Practice servant leadership, the kind Jesus modeled us. He said, you know, in the world, the bosses lord it over the others. Not so among you. The greatest among you should be the servant of all. All right, number uh, eight. Opt out of gossip and crass talk and coarse joking. There's some times where the best witness isn't to say anything, just to not say anything at all. Just to opt out of that. But I paired that with the next one. There are times where we need to say something too, right? There are times when silence is the wrong thing, and that's where that discernment piece is so big because there's times where we need to speak in and say, this is not okay. What you're saying there is not okay. The way you're treating that person is not okay. The way you're treating me is not okay. All right, here's some more. Honor those in authority, and I put this front and center, especially when they aren't around. Almost everyone will respond and honor to authority when boss is in the room. What do you say when he or she leaves, right? Are you honoring them? You can disagree. Sometimes that's the most honoring thing to do, but are you doing it in an honoring way? What I mean by number 11, conduct 360 self-evaluations is this. Are are you monitoring in your life how you're relating not only to people who are in authority, but your peers and people who can't affect your income in one way, shape, or form? You know, are you, if you work in a large company, are you just as kind to the person who has the entry-level job as you are to someone who could promote you? You know, 360 evaluations, all right? Um, Reach out to those on the margins. Are you taking initiative to look out for the ones who no one's looking out for? Number 13, caring for the rest of God's creation, not just people. It starts with people, but this whole world is his creation. And then here's another one. Practice exceptional stewardship of the resources entrusted to you. Are you being faithful in the small things that God's entrusted to you? We could go on with this list all day. If, if we did these types of things, do you think people would notice? Do you think we'd stand out? Do you think we'd shine like lights? Do you think we'd season like salt? Absolutely. Well, that book that I recommended earlier, um, the one by Tim Keller, he has a co-author, a woman named Catherine. And... It was interesting as she transitioned, because she used to be in the marketplace in the business world, and then she came on staff at uh, Keller's Church. And she had a light bulb come on when uh, she had this conversation with one of her new colleagues, a pastor. She was talking about her contacts in town. And the pastor gently said to her, "Um, Catherine, in ministry we call contacts people. We call them people. And she began to realize that she had been living a life where there was the holy and then there was the, you know, the unholy. There was the, the, the sacred and there was the secular. And what if we looked at everything we did as ministry? What if instead of, oh, there's my contacts at work and then there's the people I minister to in Christian settings. What if we just looked at everything as ministry? All of our vocations. What if Christians didn't treat people as simply contacts who can help us? What if Christian business people viewed customers as more than eyeballs with wallets? 
What if Christian leaders viewed employees as more than resources to uh, execute a task? What if we began to view work, all of our work, as an opportunity to answer the Lord's Prayer? What if we saw our work as students and teammates and friends and parents and children? What if we saw all of our work as opportunities to answer that prayer that we're lifting up? God, may your kingdom come. May your will be done right here, right now, through me. What if? What if in every situation that God placed us in, we said a prayer and got to work? That's the last thing I encourage you to write down. There it is. How do you witness well? Say a prayer and get to work. The excellent work and the excellent work of an evangelist. I'd like to close this morning with a story that Jesus told about three workers. If you have your Bibles, I'm just going to read it straight up. Uh, This is Matthew 25, verses 14 through 30. Now, it's interesting where the context is of this story. The context of this story is talking about the end of the age, the context of the story. So we're just going to straight up press into these things about why witnessing is so important and our role in it. The story is an allegory of how our work will ultimately be judged by God. All right, take a look at this. This is uh, Matthew chapter 25, uh, starting with verse 14. Again, this kingdom of heaven, when they say it, they mean, that's what they mean. Again, the kingdom of heaven will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted his wealth to them. To one he gave five bags of gold, to another two bags, and to another one bag, each according to his ability. Then he went on a journey. The man who had received five bags of gold went at once and put his money to work and gained five more bags. So also the one with two bags of gold gained two more. But the man who had received one bag went off, dug a hole in the ground, and hid his master's money. After a long time, the master of those servants returned and settled accounts with them. The man who had received five bags of gold brought the other five. Master, he said, you entrusted me with five bags of gold? See, I've gained five more. His master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful in a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. The man with two bags of gold also came. Master, he said, you entrusted me with two bags of gold. See, I've gained two more. His master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come, share your master's happiness. Then the man who had received one bag of gold came. Master, he said, I knew you're a hard man, harvesting where you've not sown, gathering where you've not scattered seed. So I was afraid, and I went out, and I hid the gold in the ground. See, here's what belongs to you. His master replied, you wicked, lazy servant. You knew what I harvest. You knew that I harvest where I've not sown and gather where I've not scattered seed. Well, then, you should have put my money on deposit with the bankers so that when I returned, I would have received it back with interest. So take the bag of gold from him. Give it to the one who has ten bags. For whoever has will be given more, and they will have an abundance. Whoever does not have, even what they have will be taken from them. And throw that worthless servant outside into the darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. These are the words of Jesus of Nazareth. And as I was reading through this at 9 o'clock, I, I had a conversation happening in my head while I'm trying to read. It was very hard because the conversation I was having was I believe the Holy Spirit was saying, whoa, whoa, Make sure that you tell them that other story that Jesus told too. Because as we're reading through this, there might be some of you going, wow, 
I've wasted a lot of years because I haven't been attending to my family the way God would have me attend to my family. I haven't been attending to my workplace the way God would have me attend to my workplace. I haven't been, and maybe you're looking and saying, wow, I have wasted a lot of time. And to you, I, I would tell the story that Jesus told of some more workers. And there was one group of workers early in the day. Someone said, I'll hire you. I'll hire you. Come, come, come on, come and, come and work. So they jumped in and started to work. Midday comes. There's another group of workers. And the, the, the boss said, hey, come and work for me. And they came work too. And it was almost the end of the day, the last hour of the work day. And there was a group of people that were still on the sidelines and he invited them into work. And, and it came time to pay the folks. And so he started with the people that were just worked an hour and he gave them a day's wage. And then there was the group that had worked a half a day. And they also got a day's wage. So now comes the group that had been busting their tail all day long, and they're expecting, hey, bonus. He said he'd give us a day's wage. We're probably going to get, you know, you know extra because we've been working all day. And he gives them a day wage. They're like, what? What's this? And it's a story. It's a story to help us to see the point. And the point is that God's excited when someone gets it, regardless of where you're at. So whether you've got a lot of life in front of you to apply this teaching or whether you're feeling like I've wasted a lot of years, let's look forward from this day and say, God, right here, right now, what would you have me to do to answer that prayer? Your kingdom come. Your will be done. And when you start praying that prayer, there's much rejoicing. You know, the past is the past. Let's look forward from this day on. Let the words that we just read of Jesus, let them serve as a reminder of how tragic it would be if Christians were so concerned about being liked that they failed to witness to this love of God. A love of God that can save us from a life without purpose and a, a, a love that can save us into eternity. You know, as a church family, we can't do that work of the evangelist for you, but we want to help as best we can. We'll recommend resources like the one we did. If money's tight, let us know. We'll buy you the book if you plan to read it. Promise to read it. Not only that, we'd love for you to get into groups. You know, if, if you're not a part of a Christian community yet and, and a part of people who, who can help you walk through these things together, we would love to help you with that. Talk to Jennifer. We'd love to help you to find that. We'd love to pray for you. You can always submit prayer requests, but we also have folks every week that would meet with you and pray, personalized prayer about this or about anything. We would love to help, so let us know how we can do that. Well, as we close today, let's, let me pray for, for you, and, and then let's join in the Lord's Prayer before we close too. Would you please stand? Let me, let's, let me pray a blessing, and then let's, let's pray. If you don't know the Lord's Prayer, that's okay. We'll, um, you could join in. You might. You probably know more of it than you think you do. All right, let me pray. God, we, we pray a blessing over our church, all of us. We, we pray, Lord, that, that you'll help us to understand at deeper and deeper levels. May, the, may the, the seeds, the roots of your gospel run deep in us, that we may know how amazing grace is and that we may experience these changes that are happening more and more and more in more of our lives and, and in more people, these changes that are so worth sharing about. So God, would you bless us with that deeper understanding of your gospel and teach us what it means to, to be the answer to that prayer, thy kingdom come, thy will be done, wherever you call us to work. And as one last act together, God, we, we pray that prayer now that you taught your disciples to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, 
hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. God bless you. Have a great week.